Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today we have a special returning guest. It's none other than Jeremy Greathouse. Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you, Carlo? Doing all right. I hear that there's a, there's a new there was a new show that uh, came out uh, that we're going to be discussing today. Wow. Uh, yeah, The Witcher, right? Yeah, right. I think that's what we <laughs> talked about. That's what I planned for anyway. So if it's something else, I'm screwed. Well, well, no, I guess we're, we are screwed. It's the wheel of time. Oh, no, dang it. Um, <laughs> dang it. I mean, they only have, they only have like 13 doorstopper books. Right. So, um, so we're, we're going to cover mostly the TV show or the streaming show, whatever you call it. I don't even know what you call it these days. Yeah. Just a right. show. The program. Um, the program. And, uh, and you'll, you'll offer some, some tidbits on the book because I, as I understand it, you have been rereading it, right? Yeah. So I watched the show and, um, around episode five or six of the show, I just was having like this really weird reaction where I was sort of enjoying it, but there were just so many things that like felt wrong. Mm -hmm. Cause I read, I read, you know, the wheel of time a lot. I read it when I was in high school. And then when the last book came out, I finally read through the whole thing again, like one time. So I kind of remembered the story, but not like as well as people who've read it a hundred times or whatever. Um, but there was not, there were enough things that were bugging me that I wanted to like go back and reread at least the first book was what I was thinking I was going to do just to kind of refresh my memory about like what was the, what was actually in the book and what did they change mm-hmm. uh, and I've now I'm on book six so I just kind of got sucked into it and I've just been <laughs> I've been trying to like read other things in between Wheel of Time books but it's uh it's it's kind of got its hooks in me which surprised wow. me I didn't expect that to happen when I went back to kind of just you know, fact check well, the, the show, I guess. No one expects the Light's Friends Inquisition, right? Right. Um, <laughs> Nobody expects the, the questioners. Um, so, uh, and we're just going to be discussing like the first two episodes this time around. We'll, 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 we'll sort of make our way, meandering though it may be, uh, through the full first season of the show. And, uh, which of course means that if they, um, if they have a second season, which I'm imagining that they will, this is a, yeah, I think it's a, already been greenlit for two ha- for season two. So, okay. I, I, I thought I'd read that somewhere and, and, but it's been, you know, uh, there's so much that's happened since I even watched the the show itself that uh, that uh, honestly I, I didn't remember whether my memories were correct or <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, uh, you know, Jeremy, you are, you have definitely done much more reading of this than I have because I have done exactly, I would say probably 0. 0.5, re- 0.5 <laughs> times reading this series Yeah, because I think I, I dropped off, uh, Shit, I always forget. Path of Daggers is what, the eighth one? Um, Let me look at my shelf. I have them right nearby. Uh, Path of Daggers is book eight. Yep, yep, that's correct. Okay. So I I, I, actually just stopped reading it the book before. Ah. And there's there's a story behind why I picked up Path of Daggers. But before we get into that, let me ask you. So... uh, what was I mean? Where did you uh, run into the Wheel of Time as a book the first time? Well, so like I was in high school, like I said, and I was really into fantasy and um, science fiction, and I'd read like Lord of the Rings and uh, Wizard of Earthsea and all kinds of other stuff. And I had a buddy who was a friend of mine who was also into fantasy, and uh, he—I don't know how he heard about it, but he was reading uh, Wheel of Time. And he was like, these are really good. You should check them out. And so he owned like the first three books and I read those borrowing them from him. And then I like went out and got the rest of them from the library. And I think that, I think it was like knife of dreams had just come out. I think that was, yeah, I think that was the most uh, recent one when I read through them the first time. And so I read through, I read up through that and then was like, well, that was good. I really can't wait to see how this ends. And then, um, Robert Jordan died. <laughs> and so I sort of stopped thinking about the series because I figured like, oh, you know, that's never going to f- get finished now because I, Life of Dreams is the last one he wrote. Um, and then, you know, Brandon Sanderson finished them. I had no idea who he was at, at the, you know, when he first started writing them. I hadn't read any of his stuff yet. And then it was only much later after I had read some Brandon Sanderson, like I'd read Mistborn and I liked it pretty well. And so I, f- I finally was like, okay, I'll see, you know, how Brandon Sanderson ended the series. And that was like right when the last Wheel of Time book had come out. So then I went and I read through the whole thing, you know, one more time, um, got the complete experience. And that was the last time I had read it until this current like reread that I'm doing sort of right, accidentally. Right. Now. Okay. So um, I, I am. I am pretty sure that I ran across. So I was like cycling out of the Navy and I was, I was flown out of uh-huh. flown off the, uh, the, the ship and uh, caught a flight. And I'm, I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm second guessing myself because I thought it was, we'd stopped in Sicily, but it might've been Naples. And sorry, folks, if I'm engaging in anti-Italian discrimination, I know that these are two very different parts of Italy, <laughs> but bear with me. Anyway, there was a bookstore. I had like a, a couple of hours to kill or something like that, or it was like over, almost the entire day before I caught the next flight. And I was going to jump from there to, I think it was Ireland somewhere, and then across the, the pond to Philly. Uh, where I'd be processed out. And while I was there, they had a bookstore and, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm going to be in the air for several, you know, like easily 14 hours. Might as well pick up something that, you know, will fill the time. I saw the, you know, the, the Daryl K. Sweet (laughs) cover of the eye of the world. Uh, 
Oh, which yeah. with Moraine extremely tiny for like weirdly small body. <laughs> anyway, yeah, go I mean, <laughs> I, but it's I mean, Daryl K. Sweet has like this weird, um, this weird style about him. And it's, I, I sort yeah. of miss his covers. I honestly do. Uh, oh, it's, I'm not complaining about it. Like it's it's great cover and it's super like nostalgic for me. But I I know it too well. I can like ima- I can see all the like uh, weird little things about it. <laughs> Well, and, and Lan is like d- dressed like he's like the Shogun or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, and he looks huge because yeah. obviously, you know, he's he's wearing the gigantic helmet and all that stuff. Anyway, so um, I picked that up and I, I'm pretty sure that I got easily like 50 to 70 pages in and it was fine. You know, I, I'll say this. Um, I was intrigued uh, in part because... Uh, what it seemed to be setting up was a world that was drawing from, and I'll say this, I don't think I'd read Dune yet. Ah, that's, yeah, that would change things. That would make it a lot more interesting, I think. But I knew of it. Yeah. And somehow I sort of, you know know how you, you, you sort of haven't really read the source, but due to pop culture, people talking about it, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You sort of can triangulate a little bit. And I figured out that the Aes Sedai are sort of like the, sort of like the Bene Gesserit, mm-hmm. um, but magical, like fantasy Bene yeah. Gesserit, you know? Um, and I wasn't really clued into a lot of the, the more problematic aspects of how, everything sort of divided up and it's sort of simplified and essentialized and all that stuff. It's fine. It's a book. I don't think it's, you know, like I don't, I don't want to sort of overstate that this is harmful in any way, but it's just definitely something that's going to be problematic, yeah. you know, and that's the the way right. it is. Um, but, but yeah, it was like drawing upon that. It was drawing upon like uh, just general sort of uh, fantasy tropes and ideas and themes. Uh, but the one thing that was really, that really, really got my sicko mode engaged was the fact that there was going to be like, this was going to be, it promised at least to be like, we're going to watch this world up until the apocalypse until it ends. Right. And we're going to see the great battle at the end and nothing's guaranteed. And that was exciting. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, I, I started reading Eye of the World, um, and, uh, I honestly, I found <laughs> if we could jump to the end of the, <laughs> of the book, I found it, <laughs> I found it a little o- underwhelming. I was like, oh, so that was it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, like, you I, know, I, go on. Sorry. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm sure that, um, it was a, like he had planned the rest of it or had ideas for the rest of it, mm-hmm. but because he could only sell the one, right. You got, you got to sort of cut it, cut it short at the end because otherwise, you know, uh, you don't know. You yeah. No, you can't just leave it on a, a cliffhanger. You got to figure out a way to sort of tie all the threads together. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels like uh, Eye of the World is not the way that it would have been if Robert Jordan had known that he would get to write, you know, as many books as he possibly wanted to. Right. Like, 
Well, uh, it so, would have a different ending. So, so let me ask you this: as someone who is currently writing a series of at least three books, <laughs> yeah, no more than three. Don't put that no. curse on me, Carlo. It's three books. No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> this is not Monty Python, so it's not five. <laughs> yeah, it's three. It's three. Um, so, uh, so how do you like? Did you come? Did you come to write? Uh, the hand of the king with that idea in mind that you had to sort of like reach a soft end that leaves p- the path open. Yeah. Well, so when I con- when I conceived of the book, the first book, Hand of the King, I did think of it as like a this is a start of a bigger story I want to tell, but also if this is the only part of that story that gets published, that would be okay. Um, I tried to like conceptualize it as a as a very much a standalone story that has um, a more or less closed character arc, uh, where like the main character changes in a significant way, makes a major decision, has to deal with some fallout from that decision, um, and then we can end the story, and it'd be like a satisfying ending. And then, of course, like when we sold it, we sold it as a trilogy because I told my agent, like, this is part of a trilogy. So if we can make that happen, that'd be great. Um, And so I got to actually add some stuff to the ending of the book to kind of signal like, and here's what's probably going to happen next. Um, So it was actually the opposite, I think. I, I imagine that Robert Jordan probably had a different idea of what he wanted to do with the eye of the world. Um because it definitely feels like like you're reading this book and you get to about 80% of the way through and they show up in Faldara up in the borderlands and then it like goes into freaking hyperspeed and like a bunch of stuff happens in the last like 100 pages um to get to some kind of resolution and it doesn't really work like at all i think um and my sense is that probably Robert Jordan had a different plan for like what was going to happen in that book, or at least it would, it would have been written differently. Um, and then he was like, Oh, oh no, I can't like this. This is, I don't know if I'm going to get to do the whole story that I want to do. So I'm just going to end, I'm going to come up with an ending. Right. Um, that it feels very tacked on and it doesn't really like do what you want the ending of that first book to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 the 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 feeling I still have, and I haven't reread uh, these in in many 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 years, but yeah. I I still came away with this ending. There was like like this feeling that the ending was like, huh, okay, yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess okay. Well, wait, D- did he win? Is that o- is it over? Like, is is that it? Why are there fourteen more books? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you got to remember that I picked it up like as it was coming out. In- yeah in in paperback right and okay so i had no idea and you know like <laughs> yeah. like you know there's the question of like oh well you know there's some some weird tiles some ancient tiles they broke that's significant right yeah <laughs> it's just it's, um, it is a very bizarre like ending to a first first book in a series but also just like if it's if that's the only one you ever read i think you would be wildly confused about why everybody talks about this series or like why this series yeah. has so much sort of cultural influence. Yeah, I mean and and so um so let's let's sort of transition to the 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 show which honestly I I've I've sort of found uh and and maybe you've you've 
seen or heard this as well. I just find it really uh, amusing that the people like myself who either didn't finish or didn't really at some point soured on the series uh, simply because there's just too many different books, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, it, you know, like uh, honestly, there was a point and I think is right before uh, path of daggers that I realized that it was just filling space. Like, and, and, and as I understand it, and I, maybe you can, you know, better and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but by that point, I think Tor had figured out that they had like a big time winner on their hands and printing more of these books was like just printing money. And they were trying yep. to sort of stretch it out as much as possible. And sadly, um, Jordan didn't have that many years in him, you know? <laughs> Yeah, uh, but but you know, like uh, shit. What is the name of the one before Path of Daggers? Uh, uh, Crown of Swords. Is it Crown? Yes, Jesus Christ. Yeah, man. that I one. Have them all like right one, next to me. <laughs> that one was the one that broke me, man. That one was yeah. the one that broke me because it was just like so. They just fucked around two weeks in this town looking for a bowl. Sure, it's a magical <laughs> bowl, but that's it. Yeah. The bowl of winds or whatever. The bowl of storms, if I remember correctly. Storms, yeah, that's right. Yes. It couldn't yeah. be the storm no. bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the bowl of storms. The bowl of storms. Um, Everything's of something. Yes, you well, know? yeah. Uh, it's got to sound fantasy. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Uh, but, but yeah, like, and so if I can go back to why. So I, I after reading um, Crown of Swords, I was like, fuck this. I dropped it and, and, uh, and it wasn't until like, I think it was like years later, honestly, like years had passed. I was still s salty about it, but it turns out that I lived in a shitty apartment that didn't have its own washer and dryer. And we had to, we had to go uh, down to a, to a laundromat. Yeah. And that was like a day long affair with like a roll of quarters and just watch your machines and make sure that no one stole your stuff or left it to like gather mildew <laughs> or whatever. Right. So yeah. anyway, I'm like, so I, I'm like, shit, I got to go buy some, you know, some uh, softer, some softener and whatnot. I go down to the corner, the corner drugstore and lo and behold, I pick up, I was like, well, I should get something to read. I was looking at the magazines and I look over and I see path of daggers. I was like, well, fuck it. Who cares? Let's see what's <laughs> happening in this fucking world again. And Jesus Christ, <laughs> that I, 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 if I had been, uh, if I had wavered once in my, in my, uh, in my fury at not getting, not sort of getting much done in the world, that one really cemented it. And I never went back. So, yeah. Well, I mean, even people who love this series, like way more than, you know, I like it pretty well. I think it's, it's entertaining for me. Uh, and I can talk about why I like it maybe later, but um, even people I know who like swear by these and it's like, this is my favorite fantasy thing. It's my favorite fantasy series. Everybody kind of admits that like books seven, eight and nine, particularly. So uh, Crown of Swords, Path of Daggers um, and Winter's Heart are just like unbearably slow um <laughs> it's like nothing happens in those three books basically um and it's it's 
it is what like what you're what you described about Tor realizing they have a cash cow is as far as I'm aware fairly accurate. Like at the time, uh, it wouldn't be an exaggeration by much to say that Tor's catalog was basically anchored by uh, Wheel of Time. Like Wheel of Time was paying the bills. And the longer or the more Wheel of Time tour could publish, the happier they were. And people were buying it regardless of like the quality of any individual entry in the series. It was like that much of a phenomenon. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. Like everybody, you know, didn't really like Feast for Crows. And then everybody went out and bought Dance of Dragons anyway, because like you're invested in the world and the characters and you want to know what's going on. Even if like you the last time you did that, it wasn't particularly satisfying. Right, right. So, um, so I guess we should probably, uh, get to the show. So what, uh, let me, let me ask you this because, uh, I, I think I, I started saying it and I didn't finish because, um, basically the, the show seems to be very attractive to people who actually either didn't read it or soured on the series versus the people who are really invested in the series are sort of very critical of the show and uh-huh. and I don't know where you fall in that divide. I I was enjoying it because it's it's very it feels very light. Mm-hmm. Um and and it moves at a brisk pace. I I do have to admit. So, uh, how do you feel, Jeremy? Um I think I was I had a like kind of an up and down experience of of uh the show. There were pretty much every episode had at least one moment that like frustrated me because (laughs) they did, they made a change or they did something different from the book in a way where I was like confused. It was like, why, why did they do that? Or like how it would like trigger a memory in my brain of something that happens in like book five. And I'd be like, okay, but now how's that going to happen? Right. So (laughs) it was like this dumb sort of lore hound impulse of it like now they they're changing it and I don't like that they're changing it cuz now it's not going to be what I expected it to be right and i th- i think that the people who really did not like it because they are such huge fans of the show couldn't get past that impulse like th- there are people who like i have friends who have read the wheel of time probably 8 or 9 times which se- seems insane because that's million literally millions of words of reading right um, and to repeat that eight or nine times seems crazy to me, but they but they just love it. Like they just love the world and the characters and the setting and whatever. Um, and so those are the kind of people who will have like really strong reactions, I think, to some of the changes in the show to the point where like they can't, they can't engage with what's going on in the show on its own terms. They're just so frustrated by the disconnect between their expectations and, or like what the story is in their head and what the show is. Um, I at other times was really enjoying it. Like I thought there was one thing in the very first episode that I I really like struggled with. um, And we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, But I really liked the first like three episodes a lot. I thought they were all really solid and entertaining. And then um, after that point is where there were just more and more things where it was like, this I still was like like one half of my brain was like this is a fun fantasy show and the other half of my brain was like none of this makes any sense and I don't like know how this is going to turn into the wheel of time that I kind of remember reading um so I think I was sort of definitely in the middle where I didn't hate it I actually enjoyed watching everything except for maybe the last 
episode. Like I really did not like the last episode. <laughs> um, but every other episode was at the worst a mixed bag. Um, and like the first two or three I thought were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's, I mean, because we're going to cover the first two here, uh, just very briefly. So I, I found that, um, I, I will say that one of the things that I found, actually two of the things that I found very refreshing, uh, uh with the show is one, this weird, um, this ongoing, even what by book, seven or whatever that I've, that I've finished reading, mm-hmm. there was still this will they or won't they type of thing with Egwene and, and Rand and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And here it's just, it's just dismissed and dispensed with out of, out of hand. Like they've been together, yeah. they are having a relationship. And I found that to be just completely refreshing. Cause it's like, yeah, they're, they're like, they're teenagers and, or, you know, very young. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure what the, uh, what the canonical ages on the show would be, but yeah, I don't either. I know what yeah. they are in the books, but I don't know about the show. Yeah. In any case, you know, yeah, they're fucking, it's, it's not, it's not a big, <laughs> right. deal. it's not a big deal. It's like, yeah, teenagers or, or young people like to like to fuck, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh-huh. They're horny. And there is a, there is a, a little bit of horniness in, in the series that I found very refreshing that, yeah. I, uh, I don't feel like it's super horny, but it's definitely like, it's, it's acknowledging that there's sexuality at the very least. Yeah. And uh, I think so that like, Compared to the way that that's handled in the books, it is way better in the show. Like Mm -hmm. the books are also extremely horny, but in a much more repressed way where like, Mm -hmm. uh, like you say, Egwene and Rand have this relationship where they, they obviously like each other. Everybody assumes they're going to get married, but neither of them will even like admit to that. And they certainly aren't going to like, touch each other at all um yeah they, they haven't even held hands really <laughs> yeah like, like they, they've danced but like that's it and so it's yeah like yeah i i didn't know that two rivers was an amish community well that's I, the I thing no that's the thing is like the two the two rivers absolutely feels like you know a super conservative at least around sexuality like like environment mm-hmm. and i think that probably just comes out of uh robert jordan's own sort of background and stuff um and it, like, there are some things about that that I think work. I think that that makes Matt in particular in the books, it makes his character way more compelling because he's like very much just like sh- breaking with his own sort of upbringing in a really obvious way. Um, but it also makes like the relationship between Egwene and Rand really annoying. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like they haven't, they haven't even d- like done anything. And yet like, there the there's like this this bizarre tension between them and like later on when the weird uh love love quadrangle stuff starts with all these other women that Rand ends up uh in relationships with it doesn't make any sense that Egwene would still factor into his like thinking at all because he's like actually had sex with a couple other people and he's literally never like physically touched her. So it's it's just bizarre. And like I thought it was much better that they're like, no, they're just they're like you know, they have a thing going on and uh, then they don't like by the end of the first season, they're not really together anymore so much. Like they're kind of apart. 
And that was like much better than the sort of weird way that Robert Jordan did it. Well, I to, to your point, I think that the the idea that they're together and that the tension is derived more about, well, okay, but that was who, for instance, Egwene was in yeah. the two rivers before she knew that she had other exactly. opportunities, and that becomes the the conflict, you know, and that that's a, a it's a very canny. Um, I feel like it's a very canny writing decision to do that, right? Because then yeah. you you've just sort of you've accelerated beyond like the will they won't they won't they thing because that just is going to get tired by you know season six or whatever mm-hmm. and, and and the same thing i would say that the same thing applies to uh the the sort of lan and Nineve 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 yeah Nineve i don't know it's it's yeah the the lady that the tugs her braid all the time yes um uh, and that's also, I think, accelerated here as well. And that's, I think, to the best. Uh, What's interesting, so like it feels accelerated compared to the books, but mm-hmm. I was surprised when I was reading Eye of the World that it's actually not. Like mm. the they reach the same level of like openly talking about how they have a thing for each other and land saying like, I like you, but we can't be together because I got to fight this eternal war against evil Uh and I don't want you to get killed because of it. That happens at like the same time in the, in the book as it does in the show. I think though that the show does a much better job of showing it developing. Whereas in the book, it's all kind of like happening in the background. And then there's like this big conversation that they have all of a sudden. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Like they were, they had a thing for each other. So, well, you know, you know, you know, those stoic guys are always having these, always having these eternal battles with darkness to avoid commitment, you know, (laughs) what's wrong with these guys. Anyway, so, um, the other, the other thing that was very refreshing to me was how sort of, um, sort of matter of factly, uh, every, like, and this is going to sound strange because, I perhaps am showing a little bit of uh, exactly what people say is, you know, default writing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When I read Eye of the World, since there was no real uh, sort of explanations, I assumed everyone was white, very white. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the show is not. No, and that yeah. is totally refreshing. And it's done in a way that I feel doesn't, it's not trying to wink at the camera. It's not trying to like get brownie points. It's just people are there and that's the way they are. And that's fine. You know? And, and it's, it's, it's sort of across the board too, because you also get like some of the baddies also have, you you can have bad people that are not white as Mm -hmm. well, because you then have good people that are not white. (laughs) Yeah. And that was really good. I think too, like, I really liked that in the first episode because if, you know what in the wheel of time books this is like a post post apocalyptic society that's kind of built from the ashes of a like a continent spanning empire that had collapsed and so it makes sense that you wouldn't have racially hegemonic or like racially singular groups even in relatively rural areas like the two rivers because you'd have people moving around from all over in this like empire that spanned the entire continent and so when that when you know there were there was some obviously dumb conservative idiot backlash to oh my god why is Perrin black but 
as soon as I like started watching the show, I was like, this is actually perfect. This makes ex- like, even from a stupid lore hound perspective, this is the way that this world should be. Mm-hmm. You should have like a mixture of different types of people. So I, 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 I will, um, I will confess that I think the first time I was watching this, I, I perhaps wasn't paying attention, but in that first episode where you get that sort of, uh, that cold open where you get to see the red Aja, uh, chasing down yeah. a dude, uh, two dudes actually. And one's like, Oh, you gotta run and use it, use your power. And so, um, I did find that, uh, a, a rather it's, it's sort of yeah. a, a schlocky <laughs> way to do it, but it's, it mm-hmm. was effective because when, you know, he turns around and is like, there's who are you talking to? There's nobody there. You know, and it's just to show you that, oh, he's a man using the one power and therefore he's going crazy. Um, so, I mean, obviously anyone that's listening to this should know at least some basics. Um, so let me walk that back real quickly because one of the basic rules in this is that the magic is divided between uh sort of what is it uh female and male magic and yeah it's the, it's the, like yeah go on sorry no i was just gonna say that the the the, the very basicest the most basicest is that a, is that a word <laughs> uh, the most sure. basic uh thing is that the the male side of magic has been tainted by the evil 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 bad guy um and so anytime a man uh, is born that exhibits a capacity to channel that magic, uh, he will eventually go mad. Yeah. Uh, because some, something in the, in the source from his side of, of, the, of the magic is going to sort of slowly seep into his mind and, and make him go crazy. Like mm-hmm. legit crazy, and uh, you know, so basically, the the Aesodai has a specific um, sort of branch of it that uh, hunts down basically uh, uh, men who channel. Yeah, uh, and so this is a demonstration of you know exactly that. It sort of gives you a, a little glimpse into sort of that there are different types of Aesodai. Not all of them do this. And right above that, you get uh, Moraine and Land going like, well, it wasn't him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you get that, that opening where they're like, well, we're two next. And you're like the two rivers dun dun dun. And, the, but the thing that I missed, I think the first time around is that they do that, that sort of slow, uh, that slow zooming out and you start seeing that the, the um, what you think are mountains and sort of a mountainous country are just basically super overgrown, like weird towers. Yeah. They're like these alien like, looking skyscrapers skyscrapers. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, a, I think that that was a really good touch oh, um, yeah. because it, it does set, it does set things up uh, for that uh, reveal later on. Yeah. Right. No, I, I actually um, like I, I agree that that cold open was kind of hokey, but I think that it did everything the show needed to do in that first five minutes to like establish like here's some basic facts about the world that you need to understand that it's going to be really awkward to explain later. Right. Like there's magic. Men who use magic go crazy. Some of the women who use magic hunt down the men. And this woman, Moraine, is looking for a specific man who can use magic. 
right? Yep. Um, it was just like, like there are other things about that first episode that I thought were really annoying storytelling contrivances, but that one I thought actually worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, then we get, you know, the two rivers. Well, actually, don't we get um, Rand with Rand? Watch out. It's Roos Bolton. (laughs) 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 You can't trust that guy. Uh, (laughs) No. uh, Yeah. So. um, So Rand is played by I always forget his name. Joshua Stradowski. Yeah. um, Who. I don't know whether he actually is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of my like overall as, problems with the whole series uh, is Rand. I mean, I mean, when you put him next to uh, next to the guy who's playing Matt, uh, yeah, Barney Harris is great. Yeah. Like he's he's just twitchy and weird and sort of like he looks he's he sort of is uh, he, you expect him to be un sort of like uh, untrustworthy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, like, so I think they actually nailed the casting on all three of like the main boys in wheel of time. Right. So you've got mm-hmm. Rand and in the books, he's kind of like the, the good guy. Like he's nice. He tries to do the right thing, but sometimes Matt gets him like sucked into weird schemes and he gets in trouble. But generally speaking, he's like, you're solid. Uh, he would play on the football team, like every man guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got well, Heron. Yeah. Oh, go on. He's he he's got he's got like a Harry Potter problem. Yeah. Right? Where he's like a bit of a blank a blank he's slate. A, a bit too much of um, a blank slate, particularly in the show. I think in the books he's much better done. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, and and then, but you also get to see him uh, next to uh, what is it, Michael Mc Hatton, who is you know who played yeah. Bruce Bolton, <laughs> right? As his That's dad, like- and you know he's just. <laughs> He's he's just so like so effortlessly like so effortless effortlessly Jesus Christ what is wrong with me I don't know effortlessly able to just sort of like inhabit a character who seems more than who he's who he seems to be you know like he's yeah. just like oh you know just I'm a sheep farmer no you're not motherfucker you are not <laughs> right um, you obviously have done some stuff yes. He's seen some stuff, um, yeah. but but you know I do think uh, weirdly I do think that um, I I feel like uh, Perrin's uh, character was a little underserved. Uh, oh yeah, I mean Mar- Marcus Rutherford it seems to be good, but he's just not really given a lot to do, and they give him like this weird like. In the books, uh, I'm rem- I'm not remembering this wrong. He wasn't married in the books, right? <laughs> oh no, none of them were. They were all like 17, and like Perrin had a girl he kind of liked, and everybody was joking about how they were going to get married, but no, none of them were married yet. They yeah. were, you know, late teens guys. I mean, I guess that they needed to have him have some sort of haunted, haunted thing, you know, blah blah. Yeah. Um, but I do think that uh, that uh, the two. Uh, the two women who are cast as uh, Nynaeve and uh, Egwene are great. They're really good. They're really good. Absolutely. I think like the uh, Zoe Robbins or I think that's yeah. her name. The, the woman who plays Nynaeve, she's like perfect. She's exactly how that character should be. You know, she's like the big sister of the whole of the group, a little stern, but also like 
genuinely cares about like them not dying because Moraine drags them off into some nonsense. She's just like, she portrays that attitude extremely well. And then um, I can't remember the name of the woman who plays uh, the queen, but she's similarly. Madeline. Just, Madeline. Like, Madden, I'm going to pull up. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up the IMDb because I'm going to forget pretty much the rest of them, but she does a really good job as like the sort of girl who had sort of accepted her life and was finding a way to like make it work. But then, Oh my God, I can go do something else. The world's bigger than I thought it was. And and that's really Egwene's whole thing in the books is she's the first one who like embraces leaving the two rivers, learning more about the world, becoming something more than she thought she could be. And I thought that Madeline Madden did a really good job with that. It, like, you know, when they're hanging out with the tinkers and she's just sort of having a good time and, and parents like, uncomfortable because it's weird and like he doesn't understand their philosophy but she's like this is cool i like these people her her whole performance was just great um i i agree that like marcus rutherford didn't have enough to do but i think that what he did get to do worked well um like i want to talk more about about his wife and like what happens with that but i think that particularly um in the part of the series where it's him and Egwene kind of fi- making their way to Tarvalon on their own, mm-hmm. that was when I really started to like his performance and, and like, see, okay, yeah, this is the sort of, you know, stalwart, reliable uh, guy who's sort of troubled, but like is going to do his best all the time mm-hmm. that parent is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that once they broke off uh, into their different sort of like, <sighs> weird pairings um they they did get to shine a little bit uh and that yeah that, that goes but in that first episode it was like i don't understand who any of these characters are except for like nine even angry well i mean and, and i think that that's uh one of the, the 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 problems i guess when you start off with the full sort of the cast is all together mm-hmm. in the same place that you you know you're going to run up against time um, you, you don't have enough time to really give them every, each one of these people, uh, enough time to really sort of emote and, and do, th- do things and have the plot go. Um, yeah. which, you know, that, that I do think that they did a, a great job in making the plot go in that first episode. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, it just gets off like a rocket. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did find it sort of really funny that, um, that they're in the midst they're in the midst of some uh, sort of like, I guess it's their their version of Halloween. I mean, it's they call it Beltine, it's which Beltine, yeah. But it's uh, but it sounds like Beltane, which is in yeah, May, yeah, yeah. In May, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's like their harvest festival, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they light lamps for the um, for the people who uh, have died, uh, so that they can find their way back when the wheel turns. Yeah. Blah blah blah. So you know, the, I I do find it really interesting that they they took a little bit of time to, um, sort of uh, make it a bit more explicitly like a, a almost a reincarnation type of mm-hmm. philosophy. Um, yeah, 
And they, they spend a little time. It's not just that uh, the lighting of the lamps, but also like uh, Rand talking to his dad about like, you know, how many times do you think uh, the wheel has to turn before they come back to us and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that was, um, I think it's it's time well spent because it, it sort of gives you that um, moment where it defamiliarizes what you think is a a sort of worn uh, a well-worn fantasy, uh, I, you know, concept, um, or world. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It also like is really important to set up the central conflict of the whole first season, which is like the dragon reborn, right? This guy is reincarnated and we need to figure out who he reincarnated as. And I think that that was really cleverly done. And it also like something that's in the books that there was not enough of in the show, in my opinion, is this like, really uh strong sense of culture um it's it's tiresome as the series goes on but in those first few books i really appreciate how much time robert jordan spends in each new location kind of establishing like this is what these people are like this is kind of how their culture is um and these are their, uh you know the, there's like different festivals that are important in different parts of the world there's different uh religious groups in different parts of the world there's different political organizations and stuff like that um and that was great like in that first episode we have here's this small community here's sort of how they're organized and who's like who's important and who's in charge and here's their like religious festival that they're doing and it it creates immersion in a way that like we we jokingly talked about the witcher but like the witcher tv show i think doesn't do very well at all um but that i really appreciated about the first couple episodes of the wheel of time show mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I I do have to uh, confess that I haven't watched the second season of The Witcher, but I didn't really get a strong like it's it's weird because I think that I have not read the the source, but I do think that the game uh, the games do capture a lot of that sort of yeah. Slavic or Eastern European myth uh, feel to them, uh, yeah. even when it's sort of like taking the piss of like old fairy tale retellings and stuff like that. It's, it's sort of with a twist. Yeah. The um, games absolutely do. But the, I feel like the show glosses over that kind of stuff when it's dealt with at all. It just feels much more like a generic sort of European yeah. world. Yeah. Like very, very generic fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I, I think that the, um, what was I going to say? I think that one of the really interesting points er, this early on at the beginning of the second episode is the introduction of, uh, what is it? Uh, is it Eamon Valda? Yeah. Oh no. He's the, um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Eamon Valda, even though that was one of the things that threw me for a minute. Um, cause he shouldn't mm. be there at that time for the rest of the series, but yeah, it, it is him. He's the, the questioner who's one of the children of the light who becomes extremely important in the second half of the series and is not that important in the first half mm-hmm. in the books. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I I do think that it was a wise choice because um, Abdul Salis is Oh, rivet- yeah, he's great. He is riveting. Like, I could watch that guy act just like for – you know, <laughs> for hours probably yeah. because he's just like, so unctuous. I just loved he, his character. He's just so yeah. bad too. <laughs> it it, it kind of reminds me of um, the, Oh man, I can't remember the name. The guy who played uh, 
Bruce Bolton's bastard in Game of Thrones. Oh, um, yeah, Ramsey. Uh, yeah, I don't Bolton. know. I don't remember what his name is. Is yeah, that yeah. that similar kind of feeling where it's just like you're captivated by how sort of smarmily evil this dude is, and there's an extra layer to it with with uh, Eamon Valda in the Wheel of Time show where it's like he's smarmily self righteous and like definitely sociopathic, but has found a way to be you know a sociopath in the world where it's like not only okay it's like virtuous sociopathy <laughs> and he's just like reveling well, I mean, in it uh, and it's great yeah i mean like all those uh the what is uh the light friends or whatever they're called um, children of the light the children of the light yeah it, yeah it it all i mean obviously like i remember when i was reading the minute you hear something uh like children of the light immediately it's like yeah these are the bad, these are bad guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it's not like it should be that big a surprise. And I, I think that, um, again, with sort of dispensing a little bit with trying to, um, trying to build false tension, uh, I think that, that that was a wise move on their part, even though, you know, it may have accelerated certain things or, or changed things in such a way that you don't, it's, it's unrecognizable, uh, if you are a big, uh, fan of the books. Um, yeah, and it, it's not that big of a thing. Like that was one of the ones where I, my, my initial reaction was like, what, the, what, what, the, what's Valda doing there? But then, um, I didn't really care that much. And I think that you're right. It, it like absolutely added uh, a lot to that to that episode. But then also, you know, later when he comes back in later episodes, he was just as good. And you already were like terrified of him because of that scene. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. I mean, um, I did want to say that uh, one of the things that I do remember, and I was sort of like a little bit uh, uh, – maybe disappointed i guess maybe the budget didn't have it <laughs> or they couldn't figure out a way to do it was like um am i misremembering but when they go into shadar lodoth uh they use the ways they did not in there right no so they they don't use the ways until like the show has them use the ways at the right point in the book shadar lodoth though okay. is very different from uh the way it is in the books um and like they get there's like a big trolloc attack and uh you know matt doesn't just go like randomly find a dagger um there's like there's more interaction with um the evil that's in shedar logoth and it's 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 a little bit more involved i actually think the way that it happened in the show was more uh it was better in some ways, like the way it happens in the book is just really involved in like, it, it's like a chapter and a half and it doesn't need to be that long. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I did find it really funny because I was like, I kept on watching the, uh, the manifestation of the evil that lives within <laughs> the little just black lines. I was like, wow, they, they just, they just have a really bad black mold infestation. Yeah, yeah. In there, man. That wasn't great. <laughs> Not good. Um, that, that was sort of, uh, you know, it's always hard to visualize bizarre cosmic forces in uh, a TV show. <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I guess it, I guess it works just fine without it. I think that the issue is that I'm, 
you know, if I think about it, I'm pretty sure that what they wanted to show was that this is a dangerous place to hide out from, but they didn't want to steal thunder from like the ba- the main baddies, which were the Trollocs yeah. and the 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 Fade and all that stuff. So you know, you're then you're you're left with well, okay, so it's sort of like a mindless evil that it's really just a collective um, evil that lives in there in the books, which am I remembering that correctly? So what's weird is in the books, it's even at the end of the series, it's never really fully explained. Um, It's, it's, it's kind of just like this evil force that is, is there. And some people, some um, before the books were over, I guess there were people who theorized that, that Shadar Logoth was going to, uh, it was like a, a thing that the wheel was creating to replace the dark one after Rand defeated the dark one. Um, but then that didn't really happen either. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. the way I see it is so in the books, I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is sort of like this is Jordan's take on he's riffing on, say, um, both the ways of the dead in, in uh, Lord of the Rings and with Matt finding the knife, he's also riffing on the, the Morgul blade and, but in a different way, you know, and I think so, that's probably right. So uh, I, I, the thing being that um, I think that the, the evil in Shadar Logoth is not ever really sort of embodied in a, in a way that is, um, recognizable uh it it's so there's like a weird guy that they meet in shedar logoth in the book um who offers them gifts like he give he, he's the one who actually gives matt the knife um but he, he's like a projection he he uh as soon as they kind of like decide hey this guy's weirding us out and try to run away he like turns into this hideous monster and starts trying to kill them um so yeah, it's like it's not clear what it is. It, it possesses Matt for a little while, and then you know, spoiler alert: uh, later in the series, it possesses Pat and Fane, who's the dark friend that like steals. The, he's in the last episode of the show and steals the Horn of Valere. Um and well, he, he gets the knife also, too. He's also in the first episode. That's right. Yeah, the, he is. Oh, that's the, right. He's the tinker. He's like the, in the, the village. The, yeah, like the the peddler that comes in every yeah. so often to the village. Not the tinker. Um, that's right. He's a peddler. Yes. Hey, tinkers are something else. There's something else in Wheel of Time. That's yeah. Uh, you don't want the lore hounds on your trail, buddy. That's right. That's um, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I honestly, I enjoyed the first two episodes quite a bit. Me too. Um, uh, I did think that there's some hokey stuff, but it's fine. Um, I, I was, I remember, I was saying that uh, this reminded me of a a better version of like a CW show. <laughs> yeah, th- I can see that. Like, and yeah, go ahead. Uh, like, especially later on um, w- when they were trying to do bigger and more like involved things, like the, the battle scenes and stuff um, and the budget started to fray. And I think they also ran into some production challenges because of COVID and stuff. Um mm that's when it started feeling more like a CW show to me. Uh, so, <laughs> so how do you, uh, how, uh, where do you stand on the, um, on the, uh, ch- the, the, the source bending, uh, <laughs> like all the, 
all the, the, the gesticulations and whatnot. Okay. So, um, I have some thoughts on that. And I also have some thoughts along similar lines with parents, wife. So maybe I'll talk about like both of those things at the same time. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a significant challenge in translating fantasy to television, which is that fantasy, especially epic fantasy tends to evolve, involve a lot of internal monologue and a lot of magic shit that sort of happens, but in, in a way that's not visual, right? Like, when you read Wheel of Time, the way the magic is described is like this metaphor of like weaving different threads that represent the different elements into the pattern to create different effects and stuff like that. And it's a really like it's a good metaphor because it kind of helps you uh, as a reader visualize or like interpret logically what's going on. And the characters can kind of use that metaphor to you know explain to the reader what's going on when they're using magic. But there is nothing happening. Like they're not, they do not move when they're using magic. It's actually very important that they do not move because like in the story, you're nobody is supposed to know that people are using the one power unless they are also somebody who can use the one power and can sense it, that it being used. So like, I think it's like women can see this glow around each other when they're using magic and men can like like get, feel this like aggression roiling off of other men who are using the one power. But men can't sense women using the one power unless they are d- using magic to intentionally feel for it. And women can't feel men using the one power. And like that is uh, one of the things that I really didn't like was the way they decided to have these like wild gesticulations going on whenever anybody did magic. It would be okay if it were like every once in a while or if it were like this is something that makes it easier. And so in battle, we're going to do it because it doesn't matter if we're trying to hide it or whatever. But like the littlest thing they ever, they do Moraine's like waving her arms around all crazy. And it just, it's like, that's not the, that's not how this magic system feels to me as a book reader. Um, But on TV, it would be really awkward if she just sort of stood there and then like these threads kind of whipped out of her and like did stuff that would look bizarre. So I get why they did it the way they did it. I think that I, I, I hope that in future seasons they tone that down <laughs> because it's like, it's distracting for me. Every time anybody's using magic and they're doing like these weird, you know, and it's not like, if you haven't watched the show yet, it's not like little movements of their hands. They're mo- they're like moving their entire upper body around. It's very Crazy. Well, I, I yeah I, I I was joking, but it actually does absolutely look like uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender yes. style, you know, like X bending, you know. Uh, yeah, it it does look like that. It absolutely uh, does, and it it's very distracting uh, for me as somebody who like it had had a strong sort of vi- image in my head of how this magic system works and like what the important rules around it are. Uh, it's very distracting to see them doing this weird thing that makes me wonder like, okay, but then obviously everybody always knows when you're using magic because they can see you like doing these ridiculous dances. Um, so I hope that there's some clarification about that. And like, maybe, maybe they talk about it later when Egwene starts learning how to do magic or something. And they tell her like, oh yeah, you don't have to do that, but it helps. It makes it easier, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I get why they did it. You know, it's like, it, it makes it more visually interesting. Similarly, um, we talked, we mentioned Perrin has a wife in the show. 
at the start. He doesn't ever have a wife at like, or he, he gets a wife much later in the books, but at the beginning of the show, he just has this girl that he's kind of interested in. And the, re- the only reason they gave him a wife in the show in the first episode was so that during the, tr- <laughs> the, the, the moment when the Trollocs attack Emmons field, attack their village and force them to like leave, uh, he could accidentally kill her. Um, and it's hard. It's awful. I groaned out loud when I was watching it and that happened. I was like, oh, God, I can't believe they did that. But I like knew it was coming because I'm like, oh, he has a wife, but she, she, that doesn't work because, you know, he's got to leave and also get together with this other lady later. She's going to die in the Trolloc attack. But then to have him kill her on top of it really like set me off. Yeah, but, I, mean, I, I, I did find that really uh, weird. But go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. Com- Complete your thought. Yeah, but I, I like uh, probably a couple of hours after watching that, I sort of was thinking about it and was like, okay, no, I actually totally understand why they did that. And it's because Perrin's whole character arc in like the first four books pretty much is about him. Actually, it's it's a thread through the whole series, but it's really pronounced in the first like four or five Um where Perrin, you know, he grows up as a blacksmith's apprentice and he's content with that. Like he, he likes working with his hands and making stuff and being productive. And he really is uncomfortable with violence. Um, and so there's this constant tension, like, is he going to choose the hammer and go back to being a blacksmith? Or is he going to choose the ax and, and help Rand and fight the last battle and stuff? Um, and so like, in the books, that's almost entirely delivered through his internal monologue, where like whenever there's a fight, like he he he's fighting and he's feeling really gross about chopping into somebody, or like afterward he like is looking at the blood on his weapon and and like horrified by it. And he spends a lot of time thinking about how, you know, he doesn't really like fighting. He wants to avoid fighting at all costs and all this stuff. And so that's that kind of internal monologue is very difficult to communicate on television in the same way that having sort of a very metaphorical magic system or at least a very metaphorically described magic system show up in the TV show is not going to work very well visually having a character like have to explain these sort of difficult emotions they're going through and thoughts that they're having to other characters uh, without it anchoring to like something that has actually happened in the show is just not very good screenwriting. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, I think to your point, yeah, the, then you have to show, you have to give him a, a motivation for not, uh, for recoiling from violence yeah, so, is what I'm getting here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the reason they decided to give him this, this wife character and then have her get murdered um, was so that he would, the, the audience would understand why Perrin is uncomfortable around violence. And on one level, I'm like, okay, now that I understand it, it bothers me less on another level. It's like, okay, but there are better ways to do that than mm-hmm. like invent a character just to murder her. Um, uh, ex- excuse me, uh, manslaughter her. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. It, it wasn't, was accidental. Was not on purpose. That's true. Well, Perrin did committed manslaughter. The writers of the show committed character murder <laughs> it's uh, true well i mean uh i i think the the manslaughter charge would be complicated by him not telling anyone about it so <laughs> yeah yeah he uh obstructed justice because he's like oh she got killed by the trollocs i didn't do it on accident at all um but you know like i get why they did that but they could have done they could have had like they could have had him 
they could have shown him like during the fighting, like kill kill a Trolloc and then just like be kind of horrified by it. Or they could have shown him in the fighting, like not be able to successfully help people or save anybody, and then sort of have him question what's the point of doing violence if it's not going to accomplish my goals, right? Uh, or they could have like when he meets the tinkers, he could have talked to them about it and he could have like tried to, em- to, to embrace their philosophy and been like, this makes sense to me. Uh, I don't, I don't think violence is good either, but then, you know, when the white cloaks show up or other things happen, then he has to use violence to uh, solve a problem. And that can introduce the conflict. Like there are other ways of doing it. And it feels really bad to start your show with, like un sort of unnecessary you know woman death uh for a man's character development yeah uh, some some fridging uh, yeah. even though the fridge had had not been uh, reinvented for <laughs> some several millennia yeah she was um, killed in a but, forge but, um I think that one of the easier ways would have been, um, you know, like I, I'd made a, a joke uh, online about how um, there is a weird difference uh, that the Trollocs are not like orcs yeah. in Lord of the Rings because they are completely mindless. Uh, for the most part, I think that there's one Trolloc that speaks in the, book, yeah, but, in the entire series, yeah. in the entire series. Yeah. Right. Um and why not have, I mean, you could have had several of them speak, but why not have, uh, the one that, like, like you said, he, he kills one and it sort of like, you know, speaks to him as like, Oh, why, why? <laughs> He's like taken aback by that because it's this hairy, awful looking horned composite beast man. Um, you know, and somehow he he's able to talk to him, and he realizes his mistake. Yeah. you know, and that would also um, actually do a much better I mean, job of of establishing the conflict because, like, there's a difference between uh, "Whoops, I killed my wife," and "I shouldn't kill these giant hairy monster men who keep trying to murder me and my friends." Right? Oh my God. <laughs> Oops, well, killed my wife. I mean, there is. It's like. I don't think that the logic necessarily connects from I swung an axe trying to hit a Trolloc and my wife was in the way um, to I should not ever swing axes to defend myself from Trollocs. Uh, And in the book, it's less about him like being afraid. Like he's always sort of conscious of like, I'm a big guy. I I'm stronger than most people. I got to be more careful than my friends when I'm like wrestling or whatever. But it's it's honestly more about him just like not liking violence. Whenever whenever there's violence happening around him, he's uncomfortable about it, and he's it's like a bad vibe. And and this makes him unique from like Rand and Matt, who are much more okay with getting violent uh, later on in the series. And the whole time, Perrin's like violence is like necessary for me, but I don't like it. And I think that it makes more sense for him to feel that way if he also includes doing violence to Trollocs in that in that like headspace right um and so if, if we establish like yeah some trollocs are sort of sentient and perrin killed one and it like in its dying maybe he saw the light go out of its eyes or like it 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 seems to be an incredible pain and that unnerved him something like that i mm-hmm. think would be much more effective like you said yeah yeah i mean uh so in any case uh that i think that we've sort of covered more or less the more interesting parts of the first two episodes. Um, and yeah. I, 
I suppose we'll be back for episodes uh, three and four soon enough. Um, so, uh, yeah. Any last thoughts, Jeremy? Uh, will Will you be watching season two? Let's put I, it that way. Yeah, I'm planning on watching season two. Um, well, when we when we when we talk about the last couple episodes, I can maybe talk about <laughs> how I really didn't like those. But there was enough good about, especially the first half of the season, and I think there were enough mitigating factors to do with COVID and other production problems that I can kind of look past how much I really didn't like those last couple of episodes, um, and and kind of like see what they want, what they're doing next. There are things that I hope they do somewhat differently. Like I hope the magic is a bit different um, in the way it's presented. I hope that they do more with Perrin's character than they did in the first season. Um, I hope that they do a better job with like Rand than they have, they did at all in the first season. Um, he's an absolute milk toast non-person in season one. And he needs to be more interesting because he's like the main character. <laughs> he's, 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 he's the guy. He's the guy. Um, but you know, I, I I'm going to watch the next season and, and I might not watch season three if I still feel the way I feel about it now after season two, but assuming there is a season three. Yeah. I mean, well, knock on wood or whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, I, I I don't know whether the the Jordan estate would get any money out of this, but uh, in any case, it'll it'll be fun. I, I I'm not. I don't think that I'm super invested in in seasons two through whatever. But mm-hmm. also, uh, I I wouldn't mind if it's around. Uh, yeah, I, I am honestly pretty ambivalent uh, because, uh, like I said, I, I'm not particularly um, a, a super fan of the books, and I found that the the show was actually sort of refreshing in certain ways mm-hmm. that uh, that then let me off the hook for not reading the source material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm also not that invested in the show being around but i you know i'm always a fan of when there is at least reasonably decent decently good fantasy you know out there and i i'm i'm enjoying even though like i i'm not the hugest like i like the first season of the witcher show i like certain parts of the second season of the witcher show but it's not like my favorite thing i'm glad it exists and i'm glad it is, it's as popular as it is uh because i want more fantasy stuff to get made and i want more people to be into fantasy and you know the more decent good stuff that is out there and then get keeps getting made the more likely more stuff will get made and more people will get into this kind of thing yeah Yeah, i agree so in that sense like i'm i'm rooting for the show um but i'm not like dying for season two to come out i'll watch it when it comes out kind of thing (laughs) i mean it's all we can ask all right, man. Uh, any last thoughts? Right. Oh, well, th- those were the last thoughts. I should say, um, tell us about this amazing series that you have coming out, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my trilogy, the Pact and Pattern series, uh, is published by Galance in the UK and other places, um, and by Jabberwocky Literary in the United States. Uh, it's a, a epic fantasy trilogy. Um, starts with The Hand of the Sun King, which is a coming-of-age novel about a uh, young man who grows up um, in a colonized country at, with mixed parentage, where he's got heritage from the colonized and from the colonizer. And so he's sort of given two options, two paths he could potentially pursue in life. 
um, and initially chooses to work for the empire that conquered his country because he thinks that's the best way for him to learn magic. But as he grows up, he kind of realizes that was a terrible decision, um, comes to regret it and has to figure out what he's going to do um, next and figure out how to kind of make his way back to the right side of history, sort of. Um, and then the second book, The Garden of Empire, is slated to release in August. I just finished my last round of edits on it, hopefully. Um, and I have seen the cover art and it's really cool, but it's not publicly released yet. <laughs> but yeah, so Hand of the Sun King, Garden of Empire, book three doesn't have a title yet, but I'm working on it now. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll, we'll certainly uh, be happy to plug uh, the cover art and whenever it's released, as soon as it's a- available. Oh, yeah. Um, Jeremy, thanks for coming on and talking about the, the Wheel of Time episodes one and two uh, and a little bit about the books to give me a little bit of perspective on that um, and uh, obviously we'll have you back for uh, the rest of the episodes in this one if you're willing to come back oh yeah this was tons of fun it's always a pleasure Carlo excellent uh, so yeah uh, thanks again and I want to thank everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time here at Potside <laughs>